It's still soaking in, Fizz fans. Syracuse is still dancing, moving on to the Sweet 16 in Omaha this weekend. The Orange, a date with the Blue Devils of Duke in that round of 16. Here to break it all down on another edition of the FizzCast, Drew Carter alongside Jonathan Hoppy. Man, we are just pumping these out. Yeah, we are. Tyler Aki, Tim Leonard, they've done a great job, but I got to tell you, Jonathan Hoppy, Drew Carter, we're ready for another great episode. This one might not be as long yeah, as the one that they it. put together. <laughs> we're going to trim it down a little bit because I think the internet might just explode if but we have another hour-long Still great cast. content. Lots of great content, content here. Still talking about Syracuse basketball, though, of course, because what else could you be discussing? The Orange and the Sweet 16, and it really is a miracle. I mean, Damon Amendolara, our boss, Darth Vader of the Fizz, as we like to call him, did call it a Sweet 16 miracle in his article that he posted on the Fizz today. It sounds weird for a Jim Beheim coach team to be calling a Sweet 16 run a miracle, but you consider the expectations around this team coming into the season, coming into the tournament, it is pretty miraculous. It is, and when you watch Selection Sunday, you thought, you know, I don't know about Syracuse's chances. But then when you really looked at it and they got in, you felt better. But funny moment before we get into this, Drew, friends of mine at home, you know, they all go to different schools, and Syracuse was the last team in. People thought, how did Syracuse get in? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. Right? But they got in, and they beat all the other schools of my friends that were in there, like Tennessee, North Carolina, even UNCG was in there, who, of course, eliminated Syracuse in the NIT last uh-huh. year. Uh-huh. Syracuse, last team standing, so a uh, little something to brag about. I'm sure I'm not the only one. A lot of people have been able to do that. Yeah, same thing for me. I got a couple of buddies from Michigan State, some Minnesota people who didn't even make the tournament, Ooh. not even close. A little bit of a correction there, though. Syracuse did beat UNCG in the NIT last year. But here's the thing. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares about the that NIT? That is true. That, exactly. So the fact that I don't even know that right. shows you, good thing we're in the tournament exactly. this year. NIT Who did they lose to? Uh, Ole Miss in the second round. Okay. They took care of business against the Spartans. I think they might have wanted to lose that game and just be done. And then they played like it against Ole Miss, and they lost. But we'll focus on this year, though, this miraculous Sweet 16 run for Syracuse basketball. And, Hoppy, I want to start with this. I actually think that the formula was there all along. For this team to make a pretty deep tournament run, we were all just blinded by the fact that their offense was so ugly to watch and so ineffective. But if you think about it, the recipe existed from the jump. You slow it down, you ugly the game up, you muck it up a little bit, you don't have a lot of depth, but if the game is a little bit slower, then that doesn't really matter quite as much, and you throw a zone at teams that have never seen it before, that formula was always there. Well, I agree and disagree. The reason that I disagree is when we saw this team play in the regular season against tough ACC opponents, they could never consistently win. It was always good performance, then a bad one. Maybe a couple bad ones in a row, a string of good ones. You didn't know what you were going to get. So I thought no way is that going to translate to three straight wins in the tournament and get you to the second weekend in the Sweet 16. I think a lot of it has to do simply, Drew, Michigan State missed a lot of open shots. They did, yeah. They missed a lot of open shots. Tom Izzo said that at halftime. TCU missed some open shots. I mean, I know every team's going to miss open shots in every game, but that has allowed Syracuse to amp up its defense, not put so much pressure on its offense, 
and the two threes getting the job done. So I think the formula was there, but to see that they've done it three games in a row to get them to the Sweet 16, that's pretty surprising. And you mentioned it there, the 2-3 zone. I mean, that's what it's called, and that's the base foundation of this Syracuse defense is the 2-3. You've got the two guys at the top with Frank Howard and Tyus Battle. Then you've got the wings, and you've got the man in the middle and Pascal Chukwu. But I'm not sure if you caught the broadcast of the game against Michigan State. Were you watching? Yeah, I was. Okay, so Ian Eagle and Jim Spinarkle were on the call, and those two guys are great at what they do. And the thing that really stuck out to me was in their broadcast open, they were talking about how the Syracuse 2-3 zone – really isn't necessarily a 2-3. It mm-hmm. starts as a 2-3. It drops back as a 2-3, but then it kind of becomes an amoeba. And sometimes it's a 4-1. Sometimes it's a 1-4. Sometimes all five guys are along the same line. They work on a string. And the thing is, yeah, this defense has been good all season long, but now it's eating teams alive. It has really taken it up from good to elite. Like, I don't think there's one defense in the country right now that I would take over Syracuse is based on how they played lately. How could you? The 2-3 has been fantastic, whatever you want to call it, a matchup zone. I will say, my high school basketball coach went to a conference one time. Jim Beheim was there, ready to learn about the 2-3 zone. Safe to say that uh, Coach Beheim keeps some of his secrets in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> he said it was like going to a YMCA and just having someone draw it up on a board, and he was like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're Beheim, why are you going to tell the secrets right. of your right. zone? But you're right, it's a weird zone. It confuses teams you got to think someone like Tom Izzo, when tournament time comes and you play Bayheim, you're like, oh, not really who I want to play. Right. you got to feel that way because this is a defense. It takes time to practice against, and if you've done it a lot, like Coach K has, and he knows exactly how to do it, I think that's going to become more of a problem on Friday. But for someone like Izzo, only had a couple of days, probably thought he was getting TCU, you know, that 2-3 zone hit him square in the mouth. Fizzcast right now, Drew Carter alongside Jonathan Hoppy breaking down Syracuse basketball and the Orange's trip to the Sweet 16. Coming up on a date with Duke on Friday, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at OrangeFizz. We'll have you posted on everything SU Hoops leading up to, during, and after that game against Duke. So stay tuned. But another thing I think that we need to talk about with the zone is, so it's not just a standard 2-3. It's obviously not easy to learn. Torian Thompson taught us that last year (laughs) when he looked like a deer in the headlights, even though his job Might have been the easiest of any position, if you think about it, because he's probably the one who had to move the least of anyone, the center. Right. He taught us last year that it is not easy to learn. This is a young team. O'Shea Brissett, one of your best players as a freshman. Tyus Battle, maybe the most experienced guy on this team, aside from Frank Howard. Neither one of those guys is a senior. Mark Dolajai is a freshman. Pascal Chukwu might as well be a freshman. He played, I think, seven games in his first season in Orange. These guys probably took some time to learn the zone. And we always see, for the most part, the guards play the zone well. Trevor Cooney and Michael Benajay were monsters at the top of the zone just recently. Michael Carter-Williams was a beast at the top of the zone. The guards have been good all season long, but it might have taken a little bit of time for Dolajai and Brissett and Chukwu to kind of settle in, really find out their roles, and ever since, it's been unbeatable. Yeah, hats off to Chukwu. Hats off to Sadibe, who can't jump and is still holding his own in there. By you the know, way, Pascal can't jump either, according to Jim Beheim. <laughs> That's what he says. That's funny, and it's always fun to hear what Jim Beheim has to say. For them, sorry, the two of them had four fouls apiece to close yeah. that game, as we all know. The fact that they did not foul out either one of them, that's pretty big. It's really unbelievable. No, but I think you're right. I've seen Pascal Chukwu and Sidibe, for that matter, when he's healthy and in there. They've played well, anchoring that 2-3 zone. And I think that's something that's getting overlooked 
I think Chukwu is really trending up right now. He is. 100%. His free throws, I mean, he goes to the line, and you got to give someone credit. How many times do you watch an NBA game? Oh, man, how can Dwight Howard not make a free throw? He is paid to do this, and he can't. By the way, one of my least favorite arguments in sports, but go on. Okay. Why is that? You really don't think if they went in the gym long enough they could figure out what, what are how they, to place the ball in the basket? But it's their job. What do you think they're doing every day? We hear about Dwight Howard practicing free throws every day. He do makes you? 80, He makes 80-85% of his free throws in practice. Listen, it's as the someone same who thing lives with all in Charlotte guys. at some point, Dwight Howard's a guy. He goes in the side gym after the game when he knows all the fans are running by. He puts uh, stuff on social media. Anyways, Pascal Dwight Howard Ch- cares. No, hold on one second. Dwight How- Howard cares so much about the optics Absolutely. Of, of his career. Absolutely. He 100% wants to make the free throws, though, so people will get off his back, his massive shoulders. Same thing goes for DeAndre Jordan. Say what you want about these guys, but it is their job to play basketball, and they want to play well. They want to make the free throws. It's not like they're mailing it in. They're practicing these free throws. It's not that easy. Okay, well, they might not be practicing them as much as Pascal Chukwu is because that guy has turned things around a 180 in a season. I think it's a mental thing for him. I think it's a mental thing for all of these guys because I think they're definitely all practicing. Something changed with Chukwu, and it probably is due in large part to the coaching staff. You can tell when he gets up to that free throw line with the headband and the goggles, the newly goggled Pascal Chukwu. (laughs) You can just see that he's going to make yeah. And now he doesn't always make it, but you you can see the confidence beaming out of him. Especially compared to what he used to look like. Right. When he would take those goggles off, you're like, here we go again. I think he missed 10 of his first 11 free throws in a Syracuse uniform. He didn't make one all of last year. He it took him over a calendar year to make one playing <laughs> for Syracuse basketball. And now he's ice at the line. Yeah, I mean, if he's up there and we need some uh, free throws, Syracuse feel pretty good. Yeah, I feel solid about that. I mean, that. probably like just as good if not better than Matt Moyer. I mean, there's a there's a few players that you could say right. I'll take Pascal, but after the big 3, probably Chuku is the best free throw shooter on the team. The back of the 2-3 zone has really been promising. Marek Dolajai has turned himself into what looked like a high potential player in non-conference and then really kind of fell off the tracks to start conference yeah. play. He has turned on the Jets. Here's the thing people forget about Marek Dolezal. I forgot about this, and I write for a recruiting website. This is how crazy it is. <laughs> hey, I forget that uh, UNCG didn't beat us. <laughs> it's okay. I'm I think sorry. I'm thinking about the We're whole uh, Jim Beheim greensboro fiasco. And <laughs> by the way, he's he's, he uh, he's wrong about that. that. I think Greensboro is a great home, and oh, we'll wow. see it back in Greensboro in two years. Charlotte next year. So. I will have to vehemently disagree with you. I was in Greensboro for the uh, <laughs> ACC Women's Basketball Tournament. Oh, my goodness. You couldn't feel the history in the Coliseum? <laughs> not at all not at all I could feel about a thousand or about a billion empty seats in that arena but aside from that well that's a conversation for a different day it might have, <laughs> it might have been a bad taste in my mouth after the way Syracuse played in that if you don't know what happened just just go look up the box score but anyway <laughs> going, going back to what I was saying about Mark Dolajai, this guy was a four-star recruit he was a four-star recruit. I didn't even realize that he got ranked by recruiting websites because he was so far off the map. Literally, he was in Slovakia right. before coming to the States. But by the time his recruiting process was done, he was the highest-rated player in his class. And he ca- he comes in, and, and no one really knows what to expect from this guy. He's not your prototypical four-star recruit in the sense that people no. aren't going to get excited about Mark Dolajai coming in. Well, you look at the guy and he you're like, oh, he can't be that good. pounds. He's he is a little bit clumsy. He's still growing into his body. That's the great thing about Dolajai is he's probably going to stay all four years. And he shows you flashes where you're like, no one else on this team has that skill. There are a couple of times where, where Dolajai makes passes that I don't think Frank Howard could make. 
the guy has a lot of skill and a lot of promise, mm-hmm. and he's ramped it up on the defensive end as well. He's turned on the Jets. That's a good point because, you know, not a conversation for now, but O'Shea Brissett, Tyus Battle have been so good. you got to figure there's a good chance that one, maybe both of them, go to the NBA. Right. Again, another conversation. But, but Marek Dolajai, to have him for four years, yeah. you know, he might go overseas. I guess he could leave early to do that and – you know, you never know. I could see him having a great career overseas, but he'll probably stay four years. Yeah, but the thing is, he's now a fan favorite, so I don't see him leaving. To no, have him on board him for four years is big. Yeah. He's just scrappy. I mean, he can always help you, no matter what your team is. There's going to be certain matchups where, you know, he's not favored, like mm. Michigan State. Right. But he held his own. 100%. He really did. I thought he was going to get bodied in that game. I thought he was going to well, look sure, like everyone if I thought, had played. Everyone thought Miles Bridges was just going to... I mean, he had that one monster yam. Yeah. But, you know, for the most part, it was a good competition. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like, you know, men against boys. So I think that's something to be encouraged by. And Dolajai has been great. I'm excited. And I, the good thing about him, too, I feel like he can complement pretty much any kind of player. Mm-hmm. I think when Baisley comes next year, he's going to complement him. Right. Brissett, he's a great complement, too. He's very versatile. You don't have to put him in a certain role. He can fill that role. Whatever you need, he can do it. He's going to make the dirty plays, and he'll step up and make shots if you need him to. He's great. I mean, he's just like he's a five-tool player, if he, you will. He is a player that Syracuse fans love, and rightfully so. Because there's no way not to love this guy when you watch him play. He's just, like you said, scrappy. He doesn't look like a player who should be this successful. No. Listed, he's 6'9", 180. In reality, we know he's probably 6'9", 160. Maybe. Maybe on and a good day. And that's the thing. Preseason, Jim Beheim into his classic, well, you know, you don't have to be big. Look at Hakeem Warwick. Yeah, that, right. that worked out okay. Yeah. Um, so I think that there is some similarity there. Dolajai maybe not as bouncy as Hakeem Warwick in certain not ways. Not but, quite. Uh, he's not going to have a, a season-sealing block at the end of the national championship. No, game, and his jump shot, he's not going to get quite as high when he shoots the yeah. ball like Hakeem Warwick did. Who, but here's the thing. He might develop those skills. You never know. The guy's so raw. He's like, he's basically like putty in this coaching staff's hands. And the guy, the the coaching staff is so diverse and versatile. With McNamara, Griffin, Autry, these guys all coach different positions. Dolajai can go to each one of them individually, and no get doubt. different coaching. And it's clear that Beheim likes him. I yeah. mean, that that's been clear from the start. So that's a good spot because. You know, I think we're going to talk about now what a great job that Bayheim has done. And, yeah. and maybe is this his best coaching job ever? But before we get there, one of the biggest complaints I have about Bayheim this year is how he's handled Matt Moyer. I get it. You know, Matt Moyer is an interesting case of where he redshirted last year. You don't know what to expect. But I always feel like Bayheim puts certain players into the doghouse like Moyer. You saw it a bit last year with Thompson. And obviously he left. And so now we'll see what happens with Matt Moyer with Baisley coming and Brissett being such a star if he decides to return. I just think as a coach, it's your job to get Matt Moyer out of the hole that he's in. Yeah, It's your job to get him out of the slump and get him to produce because Syracuse needs everybody they can. I mean, you saw Braden Bayer come into the game. He held his own. He did fine. But that's how, you know, when Frank Howard came out, Jim Spinarkle on the CBS broadcast Second said some him. Yeah, exactly. He's great like, at his job. He's a good guy. He really he really dug in there and, and and if you're listening, if you don't know anything about Syracuse, you're like, 
wow, like, who is this kid? Like, what? Yeah. this seems like he must be deep off the bench. No, actually, he's like the eighth guy. Yeah. So, you know, I think Matt Moyer could be utilized more, but, hey, you know, like, so, Beheim's done all right, I guess. He, yeah, exactly. Here's the thing, and that, that leads nicely into my counterpoint, which is I am not going to question Jim Beheim at this point, especially after the Sweet 16 run. And and I'll sit here and I'll put my foot in my mouth because I guess I won't because we have to finish this podcast. But <laughs> I'll sit here and I'll take the blame for saying I, I wasn't all in on Beheim's job this year. You know, oh, I was I was not impressed. I know you weren't either. No. I don't think a lot of Syracuse fans were. But it sort of felt like he had this ace in the hole all year long, which was the pace of play that Syracuse is playing at and the style of play that the Orange is playing. But I wanna I wanna talk about Moyer for a quick second because. I'm at the point now where, like I said, I'm not going to question Jim Beheim. Same thing goes for a guy like Bill Belichick. When Bill Belichick benched Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl, I was not one of those people who came out and said, well, that's ridiculous. He cost them the game by benching Malcolm Butler. I'm like, you're really going to tell me that after five Super Bowls, you know more about how to coach the Patriots than Bill Belichick does? That didn't register with me at all. No. Same thing goes for Jim Beheim, And it started with Tyler Roberson. Tyler Roberson was the original whipping boy, at least in the last five or six years, for Jim Beheim. He would go after this guy in press conferences. There were times when he said, if Tyler Roberson takes a shot, like he's going to the bench, and that manifested itself on the court, you knew, like, first thing, after every Tyler Roberson jump shot, first place my eyes looked, the bench. Absolutely. Who's, gonna, who's Bayham going to pull in for Roberson now? He, he crushed Tyler Roberson, and to me that didn't make any sense based on Tyler Roberson's personality because I was sitting there willing to give Bayham the benefit, benefit of the doubt because with some players, he really pumps them up in the press conference. He'll really compliment them all the time. Frank Howard this year is a good example. Jim Bayheim loves to compliment Frank Howard. Last year, not the case. Last year, Frank Howard was in the doghouse. Exactly. He somehow climbed his way this out. This proves my point. Bayheim coaches through the media. He talks to his players Sure, he talks to them one-on-one, I'm sure, in the locker room, but he also coaches them through the media because he knows that they're reading everything about them. I have watched with my own two eyes Mark Dolajai search his own name on Twitter because he wants to see what people are saying. So are you a fan of coaching through the media? I was not I was not a fan of coaching through the media until I saw a legend like Jim Beheim do it. <laughs> now I don't question it because I think what Beheim is doing with Moyer is the same thing that he used to do with Roberson, and to me that doesn't make any sense based on their personalities. Well, he's going to run him out of town. I mean, are you okay with that? He didn't run Roberson out of town. I thought it made no sense with Roberson because Roberson was quiet and reserved to begin with. And then when Beheim comes out and just whips him around left and right in the press conference, I thought that would not do it wouldn't do any wonders for his confidence. But then Roberson comes out and basically single-handedly beats Duke in Durham, stays for the entire four years, and has a pretty good Syracuse career. Beheim knew what he was doing there, and I think he knows what he's doing here with Matthew Moyer. Because at the end of the day, he knows Matthew Moyer better than we do by about a hundred times. So Beheim has this, this idea in mind of how to coach Matthew Moyer. And my, what I would compare it to is, like, if I'm watching a master chef cook a meal and he's got a chocolate cake and he decides to put hot sauce on it, I'm sitting off to the side. I'm thinking, well, that sounds crazy to me. I probably wouldn't do that if I were in the position. But this is the expert, so let right. him do it. It's logical to think that way, but I don't think you can apply that to every situation because I think even – the greatest of people make mistakes in some way. I'll buy you know, that. maybe putting that hot sauce on that chocolate cake wasn't the best idea. But I do like that counterpoint because it is interesting to think, you know, I'm sitting here saying that Jim Beheim has put Matt Moyer down and that yeah. they need him. Why wouldn't Jim Beheim want Matt Moyer to be productive? There's nothing because the more produ- let's say Moyer was so productive, makes Beheim look better. 
It makes the team better. It makes everything better. Everyone wins in that case. So why would he knowingly put a guy down and affect his play on the court? So that's the counterpoint. We don't know that it's negatively affecting his play. That's my point. I'd have to. I mean, I can say I think it is. I think when your coach is that negative and you're looking to the bench, like you said, with uh, Roberson, I think that gets in your head. How could it not? You know, it's like. If someone was listening to this podcast and people listen to this in terms of people checking on so. us, to, well, <laughs> that for sure, but people checking on us to see if we're doing our jobs. And yeah. if you got a text as soon as this podcast was posted, hey, this needs to be better. This needs to be better. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? More so, hey, this sucked. Exactly. If you, we're comparing it to how Bayham talks about more. Well, right. Zero, zero, zero. You sucked on that podcast. Yeah. You know, if He's I was listening good. and I heard your voice, I'd turn you off right away. He can't score. So what is that going to do for you when you come in next week to recap this basketball season, assuming but, they lose, but a lot of people don't think that. <laughs> I think they're going to get crushed. That's take, for a few minutes from now. Yeah. But come on. If you came in after all those texts, you'd be nervous as hell. You'd be so sure, nervous, but, and you'd put out a worse But product. think about Matthew Moyer's game for a second. Matthew Moyer doesn't do things where nerves should affect him. He should be so fired up that he attacks the glass. That he gets into a stance Sometime on defense. Sometimes the game gets gets small, but, man. But that rim Hoppy, shrinks. Hoppy, he doesn't shoot. Is the thing. If if he's so worried about Bayheim, what what are you gonna say? What he, is that? He doesn't for? shoot because he's worried that he's he doesn't be shoot taken because out. he can't shoot. It is much better for Syracuse when Matthew Moyer has no confidence when it comes to scoring the ball. I'm not buying that he can't shoot. I don't want Matthew Moyer out there. You don't there think try- he can no, score no, the hold ball? Hold on one second. No, not at all. Watch him play. You think Matthew Moyer can't score because of his confidence? That'd be like me saying I can't dunk because of my confidence. I can't jump oh, high that's, enough. That's totally different. What? I don't think Matt Moyer is a guy. Moyer that doesn't can't have the score. tools. Yes, he, that's exactly what he is. He cannot score. So you're saying he can dunk and that's it? I think Matthew Moyer can defend and rebound. Those are two things where he should be fired up by Bayham's comments. He's tenacious with blocks. You got to say, he comes out of nowhere sometimes. He closes exactly. that gap that's, quickly. And Bayham's all about motivating. In this sense, we're, we're talking about how he motivates his players I'm through the media. I'm not sold that he couldn't score. I think Matt Moyer could score if he needed to. In D3 basketball, maybe. Oof. Moyer, You're talking about the Connecticut player Moyer at player this point is Come a on. clunky player. He's clunky. That's how I would describe his game. He's a little bit awkward. He's more awkward than Marek Dolajai. Well, that's, you know, Mark that's Dolajai, been illustrated. He doesn't start anymore. Mark Dolajai is basically Matthew Moyer 3000. He's the upgraded version. He does everything you would want Moyer to do at a higher level. Plus, he'll give you a few extra points here and there. But M- Matthew Moyer is not built to score, so you don't want him trying to do that anyway. You've got a-, a point. How do you know that? And all, by, by the way, we're ignoring the fact that maybe Jim Beheim is just being honest. You know, maybe he's none of this is for any reason aside from he's just telling us exactly how he feels. Maybe he's pissed because Matthew Moyer came in as a four star. I just crew. don't think that's how you, you just coach. said it. Con- I don't think it is either. I don't think that's what he's doing. But we know Bayheim does not beat around the bush, not at all. He's got a he's got a guy. Well, who's the this comes in the argument. The Maybe it's working. Like that's the thing. Now that they're in the Sweet Sixteen, all these things that we've pointed out this season, has it turned positive? And that's where I don't know because a lot of people want to give Jim Bayheim the credit. We've got a guy, J.D. Rachi, who is writing an article claiming this is Jim Bayheim's best coaching job ever. You can read it on he the. He can't do anything wrong. Check it out, OrangeFizz.net. It is very pro Bayheim. And here's the thing about sports. We all know this. Syracuse loses to Arizona State. 
It was a close game. Say they really lost. Close. Say they lost that game. Beheim said, by the way, that was the best. That was the team with the best chance to beat Syracuse. Arizona State. Continue. Say they lost that game. We are certainly not talking about what a good coach Jim Beheim is. Not right at now. all. And he said that today on the Gottlieb show. He says, you know, this is a tough industry. If we lose to Arizona State, everyone says, yeah, Syracuse bubble team. They shouldn't have gotten it. Now we're in the Sweet 16 and turning heads. Things can change just like that. It's just one of those things where I'm not ready to say that this is such a great coaching job from Bayheim because, as I've said all year online, through podcast, this team is predicated around effort, and that's really been the talking point for the second half of the season. That's why I was excited about this team to start the year because little to no expectations, and you're just going to have guys that play together. They're going to lock down on defense like they've had. Keep in mind how terrible – as she was on defense last year. Awful. Worst worst defensive team maybe Bayheim's ever had. It was terrible. And he said, we're going to get this team back to where it needs to be defensively in the top 20, top 30. That's exactly where they are. But I think in terms of giving credit, you have got to start with the players. They play, and at the end of the day, they're giving the effort that makes this 2-3 zone so good. I 100% agree. The formula hasn't changed. The formula has been there. It was there last year. But guess what? The players are getting in the effort. But if you want to say that, you also got to say, well, Coach Beheim must be motivating them pretty well. So it's just a circular argument, right? It's just like politics. You're never going to get to a solid answer. It's just going to flow one on top of another because they feed all together. But here's the thing. That argument ends at the same place. Syracuse is in the Sweet 16. So you're both arguing in favor of two different right. Syracuse something's, entities. Something's working. Everything is positive here. And I'm trying to think of the right analogy for this Bayheim versus players argument, but I agree with you because giving Bayheim all the credit for what his players are doing just seems a little bit disingenuous to me. These guys are playing 40 minutes a night. Frank Howard had strep throat for the Arizona State game, and he still might. We don't know if he still is dealing with the symptoms of strep throat. This guy's out here playing 40 minutes a game until he fouls out like he did against Michigan State. O'Shea Brissett's doing the same thing. Tyus Battle is doing the same thing. These are the guys who deserve all the credit. But I will say this. Jim Beheim has seemingly struck a chord with these guys because they are playing incredibly hard. Part of the credit for that does go to the coach. Well, guess what? And they've ramped it up in the tournament, too. There's no denying that. Let's flash back to the first Duke game. We're coming up on the second one here on Friday. Make sure to keep it locked to Orange Fizz. We've got great content coming at you all week long. After that game, the first Duke game, Coach said, listen, this team is doing all they can. They are trying their absolute hardest. You can't expect them to beat a team. It's just not in the cards. Syracuse was so mismatched in that game, I guess I should say outmatched, in that game against Duke, it was crazy. It was like when you were watching that game, even though SU kept it kind of close, no team could hit a shot, no team could hit a three. You're talking about Wendell Carter Jr. and Marvin Bagley III. And then for Syracuse, Pascal Chukwu, Barama Sadiq. Just like, stop right there. It's a 2018 Lamborghini against an 03 Toyota Camry. I mean, just stop it's, right there. There's no question. And he starts complimenting them, and it's like, wow, Coach Beheim is, you know, he's really being kind of positive. Like, hey, I love the effort this team gives me. So maybe they fed off of that. This, by the way, was after a, what, 60-44 to 44 loss yep, against Duke? Exactly. And this is Bayheim, who's got a reputation for being a Grinch. Right. Comes out and compliments his players. We just talked for 10 minutes about how he motivates through the media by being uber negative. Right. And now all that is great. The Sweet 16 run is great. But SU is going to get smoked on Friday. Smoked. Hold on one quick second. Before we get to this game, 
I got to ask you. Smoked. I got to put you on the spot. Say <laughs> smoked one more time. Yeah, that'll smoked. make it happen. <laughs> I got to put you on the spot. Because you said, you just mentioned that if Arizona State had beaten Syracuse, the narrative completely shifts around this team, and that's absolutely right. And I tend to agree with you that we probably overanalyze all of these things because it can really flip on a whim like that. Like, think about Loyola Chicago. Everyone is saying Sister Jean has, like, some sort of divine intervention powers because Loyola Chicago is onto the Sweet 16. Well, if Ingram doesn't make that 25-foot shot at the buzzer in round one against Miami, we're not talking about any of this. The story is dead. And same, same thing goes for, for, I mean, I guess the Virginia thing, not necessarily because UMBC smacked them, but all these games can pretty much turn like that. So any sport, any team, it, it this it, is New England wins the Super Bowl. Right. Exactly. Wow. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, whatever. But it, the narrative they completely lost. shifts. But do you think this is a fluke? This sweet sixteen run? I don't know if it's a fluke. I don't know if I would go that far. Because I don't. I I think what has happened is you've got a team that busts their butt and they've ran into competition that has not converted in certain situations, and they've capitalized off that. So I don't think it's a fluke. I'd hate to say any team making it to the Sweet 16 is a fluke because in order to get there, you've got to win at Syracuse's case in the first four, three games, yeah. and you've got to do so. Like, that's hard to do. People don't realize, I mean, people, getting to the Sweet 16 is tough. It, to get out of the first weekend is quite an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a fluke. But I think it's very surprising because, like I said earlier, we just haven't seen this team do this the whole year. So there's no denying that it's incredibly surprising. And to your point, by the way, think of all the teams that didn't make the Sweet 16. That'll illustrate just how hard it is. I mean, Virginia is gone. They lost in the first round. Arizona is gone, lost in the first round. Cincinnati is gone. I mean, all these teams got upset. Right. UNC got smoked by Texas A&M. They got cracked (laughs) by Texas A&M. But you're right, it's so hard to make it out of the Sweet 16, and that's why I'm not willing to say that it was all because they won three coin flips. You know, No, like, it's not like, a fluke. These I, games, that's disrespectful. These games were, were tight down the stretch, sure. But I think if you play these games 100 times, Syracuse beats Arizona State probably 65 or 70 times out of 100, which is about as good as you can ask for in a first-round game when you're not a, a one or a four or somewhere in between. Syracuse probably beats TCU, I think, 60 out of 100 times. TCU was much better in the regular season, but this version of Syracuse we're seeing right now chokes the life out of the opponents. And to be quite frank, I think Syracuse beats Michigan State neutral floor 50 times out of 100 right now, based on the way these two teams are playing. Because Wow. And that's why I'm saying it's not a fluke whatsoever. Because the way this zone is playing allows Syracuse to beat anyone. And that's not a fresh take by any means. But you watch them move. Who's going to score on this team? I guess we'll find out on... Friday with Duke, but I, I, I'm not willing to sit here and say that it's, it's lucky or fluky that Syracuse is in the Sweet 16 because I think they deserve to win all three of these games based entirely on the defense, which is Bayheim's scheme and Bayheim motivating these players. That's pretty steep there, 50 out of 100 with Michigan, Michigan State. State is, for I my mean, money, the second most talented team in the country, right behind the team Syracuse plays on Friday. And they've got an amazing coach in Tom Izzo, and they've got a decent amount of experience, and they've got the best front court in the nation, bar none. But the Syracuse zone is really the great equalizer. It's a trope, but it's true. It holds true in this case with the way they're playing. And so there's I don't think you can say it's a fluke. And honestly, Syracuse could go on to the Final Four, and I would say the same thing. Because I could see that coming at this point. 
I'll admit that since I hadn't seen this gear until the tournament, I would have said you're nuts if you had a speeding Michigan State. But at this point, with the way Syracuse plays, onto the Final Four, why not? Well, you could argue that three wins is a fluke or fluky. But if Syracuse gets five wins predicated around great defensive performances, you can't say that. Yeah. Against Kansas, Michigan State, and Duke, that's what it would be. Not to mention TCU is pretty high-powered, and Arizona State you know, fell off at the end of the year, but they showed potential too. Those five wins, that's no fluke. Right, and to go back to the comparison I made earlier with Loyola Chicago, that's the national darling right now. They are a fluke. They won on two buzzer beaters, and they've won two games. Syracuse has won by being the better team three times in a row. Rest in peace, UMBC. (laughs) Wasn't that fun? That That was was crazy. Did you watch that game against Virginia? Yeah. It was happening same time as the Syracuse-TCU game. Right. I I had to flip it on. Exactly. Once you saw that coming, but the whole UMBC Twitter feed and everything. Oh, yeah. That's fun. That's kind of what March is about. You know, it's UMBC, Sister Jean with um, Loyola. Yeah, with Loyola. It's pretty fun. March is incredible. Nevada making two twenty. It is point all comebacks. these teams out. I just, I just, you know, I don't think it's going to end well for Syracuse, but it's been fun. All right, so let's touch on that. Syracuse plays Duke on Friday, Sweet Sixteen. Common narrative around this game is the Orange has made it to this point because they've played three teams that hadn't seen the zone before this game. Zone catches them off guard. Yada yada yada. Syracuse somehow squeaks out a win. Now you get a team in Duke that not only has played and clobbered Syracuse this season is led by a coach in Mike Krzyzewski who's seen the zone a billion times and by the way the same thing went for Jamie Dixon and it didn't really help his TCU team that's my argument Syracuse's zone at this point is on another level I don't care how many times Coach K has seen them I don't care how talented Marvin Bagley Wendell Carter Grayson Grayson Allen Trevon Duval however the hell you say that guy's name (laughs) Kerry Trent Jr. I don't care how talented they are the Syracuse defense is going to put the clamps on at least to a certain extent. You know, I want to agree with you, but the difference for me in this game, and I know Michigan State has a great front court, but I don't think you can match up. I mean, Duke has these bodies that are huge. Michigan State's bigger than Duke. I, d- I just I don't see Syracuse stopping Marvin Bagley Jr., Marvin Bagley III, at all. But they stop Miles Bridges. I think Bagley's a different animal. I agree. He's better than Miles Bridges. But the combination of Bridges, Jackson, and Ward down low, they stopped all three of those guys. Pa- we just talked about Pascal Chukwu being a new man. Mark Dolajai, he's 160 pounds soaking wet. I'll believe but he's it when I see it. defending his tail off. I'll believe it when I see it. You've seen it three times. Not against this Duke team. And like you said, you, you just admitted that Michigan State is number two in your eyes to Duke, right? But the you gap isn't that. massive. The gap is not that big. I think the gap is enough to get over four points. Here's why I completely believe at this point. And, and another thing with that, four points. The I'll margin, be shocked. Listen. The margin of victory is, is thin. It is razor thin in all three of those games. Let's do the math right here. Four against ASU, five against TCU, th- two against Michigan State. 11 points combined for three wins. That margin of victory would make you think that, like I just said, they play 100 times, Syracuse might win 50, but these are complete coin flips. I don't buy that because of the way that Syracuse has shut down two offenses that are engineered to beat them. TCU and Michigan State, number two and number one in the country in assists per game. TCU and Michigan State, two of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. How do you beat the zone? You shoot the three, you pass it well, you crash the offensive glass. Those two teams built to beat the zone. 
and really talented offensively. You're focusing way too much on those teams. What you need to focus on, Mike Krzyzewski. What are you talking about? Probably the best basketball coach. Are Tom Izzo and Jamie Dixon not good coaches? Not on Mike. Not on Coach K's. But you're you're out here saying they're going to get smoked. I do. I don't think they're going to compete with Duke. How can you say that after they just beat Michigan State? I think State? it's going to be just like the last game they played against Duke. Tight, kind of close at half. Both teams not finding their stride on offense. And then in the second half, Syracuse does not have the depth to compete with Bagley and Wendell Carter. Are you telling me that this Syracuse team is the same as it was in January and February? That was late February. That was towards the end of the season. I have seen strides, but not enough to overcome the amount of separation I saw at Cameron Indoor. You know who Syracuse played in their next game after that Duke game? On the road. Yeah, they played Boston College. At Boston College. Got shredded. 85-70. to 70. This Syracuse team is nothing like the one that we saw in Chestnut Hill. I was there in person. They were I just, a shell. I, okay, so if you say that this is no fluke, I tend to lean more towards fluke. Because when I look at it, they beat Come Clemson. Come after him, not right? me. Clemson is in the Sweet 16. Okay, so that was a great win. But when you look at it, they beat Wake Forest, and they, they beat them good in the ACC tournament. But then they got not they didn't stand a chance against North Carolina. This team is different. This team is since completely when? reborn. Just, reborn since when? Since the tournament started. I just don't. I don't really. This buy is why Jim Beheim is, is a, a wizard. Brand new team. They had a week off before the tournament started. Listen, as and Jim own, Beheim lit a, f- a fire in that entire locker room. As our own Damon Amendolara has pointed out, there's been a lot of SU upsets in the tournament. Now they have been sort of, you know, since that 2000 and. 16 run, 2014, whatever. They've been turned a new leaf, but I just think it's unfair to say that this is a brand new team. We saw them get smacked by North Carolina. We also saw them compete pretty well against North Carolina in the regular season, and barring a Pascal Chukwu mistake, who knows what would have happened in that game. I'm just telling you, I think the luck has run out. The luck? Yes. They're not here because of luck. They're here because their they defense a lot is the of best breaks in the country. Against Michigan State. Like what? Michigan State missed a lot of open shots. Sure they did. Michigan State missed open shots. They scored 53 points. I I completely prescribe to the theory that, or subscribe, prescribe, subscribe, I think it's subscribe, to the theory that basketball is a make-or-miss game and we overvaluate based on who misses and who makes shots. I'll buy that for sure. Syracuse was the better team. Against Michigan State. Down the stretch in the second half of that Michigan State game, when I was watching, every time the Spartans got the ball and I thought they might pull away, they got good looks. And I'm like, ooh, like that better not go in. And they just didn't go in. And Syracuse capitalized off that, which why, you know, that part of it's not luck. But I just don't think Duke is going to come out. I think Duke is really good. I think they're much better than Michigan State. And I think it's... I say there's going to be separation. There's going to be separation towards the end. It's going to be a competitive game for the most part, and then Duke is going to pull away. So they're not going to get smoked. They're going to get smoked. It's going to be a 15-point loss. Oh. Oh. 10 to 15 points. That's just blasphemous. Well, that's exactly what someone like you predicted against Michigan State. So and after I was one wrong. game you've bought in and said yes. that's going to transfer into this next game against Duke? You know why? Because Michigan State is the only God. team in the nation whose talent Drink holds a more candle of the to Duke. Seriously. Can you pass me some of that? <laughs> I, I'm pretty hot over here. I, I need some it of that tastes, Kool-Aid. It tastes so good, man. It tastes so good. 
Buy in. I will swallow my words. Hoppy, I'm not buy here to buy in. in. I am here. I am swallowing my words right now, and they taste so great. I'm not here to buy in. They taste great, and I'll I'm wash them down with the Bayheim Kool-Aid. I'm here to evaluate what I've seen. So am I. You know I'm a neutral observer. I have not been a homer at one point this year. You just said it. I picked against Syracuse three times. Against Arizona <laughs> State. <laughs> That's a tough look. Who <laughs> sucks? <laughs> Arizona State sucks. Uh, I had them against Arizona State. I had a loss against TCU and a loss against Michigan State. So your opinion of this team hasn't changed at all. And by the way, I'm not picking a Syracuse win over Duke. I'm just saying they're not going to get smoked. Smoked? 10 to 15 points. What a a ridiculous thing to say. That'll be my prediction. You can catch it on Orange Fizz for a crystal ball. Look out for that crystal ball, baby. Yeah, 10 to 15. I mean, it's going to be something like uh, Duke 72, SU 59. You know what? Anyone who predicts that is an idiot. Not a journalist. <laughs> an idiot. This is one of Jim Beheim's five best coaching jobs ever. Five. Okay, you know, I love that you're fitting all of his great lines from press conferences in, but that's not going to change the fact that this team is over. If you think Duke scores more than 70 points, you are actually an idiot. I think. You're talking about a defense that's held opponents to a historical margin for, like, consecutive games. Yep. That's going to change. Nope. Trends, I mean, that that's going to change. I, I'm if just curious. Duke scores under 60, I will be shocked. I am just curious how you have watched the way this zone has worked during the tournament and still believe that. I don't care that Duke has seen the zone. I've seen the zone. I don't think I could score against it. So you legit think that this team is going to make it to the Final Four? No. Or has a shot? Do you think they have a chance Hobby. to go to the— No, yes. no, answer that. 100% they have a chance. I think them beating Duke in Kansas is highly unlikely. Well— all right, going into the Arizona State game, what would you have said the chance of making the Sweet 16 is? Highly unlikely. So just because and I think I'm not chance... someone that thinks you should just switch your opinion because certain things have happened. We have yeah, now seen... they put together three great games. That doesn't mean they're going to go to freaking San Antonio. Three games in a row where they have looked unbelievable on defense. Unbelievable. And by the way, this potential was always there. Even Bayheim has said they're going to have to have more offense to win. Yes. So we have not seen that offense. When did, I have did I, no reason to believe that I they're going to have more offense. Wait, when did I predict a win? I didn't I'm predict a win. I'm not saying you did. But I'm th- saying there's a chance because of how good the defense is. Well, sure, there's a chance. I think there's a chance. You said they're going to get smoked. Yeah, you I asked also, me if I think there's a chance they make the Final Four. Of course. If they beat Duke, which I think they can, that's the toughest roadblock. I think there's a very, very small chance they make the Final Four. Put a number on it. 15%. Okay, I'll agree with that. 10%. You know, you and I are out here arguing, and we agree. Because if you look at how great the other teams are in this region, Duke, I'd give probably a 35% chance. Kansas, maybe a 25% chance. Clemson, a 15% chance. This what is how we'll Syracuse? decide. We'll come back on next week. How we will decide is, this is how you know if they got smoked or not. My definition of smoked is watching this game 5-10 minutes in. Yeah, they're not going to win. You probably me, said that about Michigan smoked. State, though. You probably said that during the Michigan State game. No, I did not. They were up in the first half on multiple occasions. They were, yeah, they were. I thought there was a – listen, as soon as that game got started, I had a funny feeling, and I knew – I thought it was going to carry over to the second half. So why do Talk you... about adjusting opinions on the fly. I'm not afraid to say I was dead wrong about that. But watching this game, I just don't see it happening again. What makes Duke different from Michigan State? I think Duke is another animal with a much better coach. That <sighs> no – Coach K is the best coach ever, but Tom Izzo is pretty damn good, too. That's a bad—Tom uh, Izzo was not prepared for the 2-3 zone. You said it earlier. 
They were not ready for it. The team just couldn't execute. You're I talking about were, Jim Beheim. They were you're talking ready about Coach K, who runs the zone better than Beheim does because he Wrong. has better players. Wrong. Not, but I'm not saying systematically. Right. Beheim said that the Duke zone is better because they're more physical and they're bigger. He legit said that today. That's a direct quote. So I'm going to believe the guy who created the zone on that. Fine. All right. I'm not going to say that Coach K is a better teacher. Jim Beheim is the zone master, not the Zen master, the zone master. But I think that Coach K has better players because he does. He just does. The players are much better. So Last time they States. played Duke, uh, Duke couldn't hit anything. And if you think, which one's going to give, Syracuse or Duke making shots? Yeah, I'll take Duke, right? And another problem, that 2-3 zone, even though Beheim says they've played well against zones, yeah, not at Duke, okay? Those guards come out high on Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, Tyus Battle. O'Shea Brissett looked awful against Duke <laughs> last at the last time. No, O'Shea Brissett went into a slump. You know, he was so consistent, and he made like 12 to 17 points a game. And he's still he's been great. He just went into a little bit of a slump. He was terrible at Duke. After he talked about how he needed to find better shots, well, he needs to against you know in this game against the Blue Devils. Six points, two of thirteen from the field for O'Shea. This is game. what I'm saying. I was at that game, and I was sitting there watching it, and You're I just bread. thought there is no way. I went back and and reread my article, which I'm going to post, and it's just talking about how outmatched they were. They tried so hard. But they were just outmatched. That was what Beheim said. Post game, that's everyone's consensus. And now because they've went on this little run and everyone's excited and the zone looks great, that's just going to somehow make you very confident that it's going to be a close game. I just can't buy into that. And if you want to look at the past three games, that's fine. You take your stock on the past three games. I'll look at the whole body of work, the regular season, the last time they played Duke. No reason to believe that I will even consider picking them to win this game. It's sort of like you say that Bayheim is not trying to lose or like Bill Belichick's not trying to sit down Malcolm Butler and lose the Super Bowl. I'm not trying to pick this game wrong. I hope Syracuse wins because it's more fun for me, it's more fun for you, it's more fun for everybody listening. Heck, maybe we'll get to go to San Antonio. But I just can't see it happening. I can't. And here's why I disagree. What you just said was me before Michigan State. I said, fine. It was also me before Michigan State. I said, fine. And it's still me. The zone can the, the zone can eat up a team like TCU that doesn't have the talent to beat it. I thought TCU's scheme would be great against the zone, but the talent just wasn't there. Defensively for Syracuse, the talent is there. The talent is good oh, enough absolutely. to be a top 10 defensive the defense team. Is great. And they've capitalized on that. So I thought TCU just didn't have the talent to stack up. I thought Michigan State would overwhelm Syracuse just by being better, by having better players. I was proven wrong. After watching that game, I think Syracuse can run with anybody. And that's why I am not going to sit here and allow you to slander Jim Beheim and say they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. That's ridiculous. It's a very small chance. I mean, anytime you say a team doesn't have a you chance, know I know that they could win. Do you know what is razor thin? Okay, Marvin Bagley, Pascal Chukwu. I'll just, I'll just leave. Jaron Jackson, Pascal Chukwu. You, you are saying that you don't want to buy too much stock in these last three games? You're straight up ignoring them. You're acting like you didn't watch the game against Michigan State because you don't want to buy in too much. I get that you don't want to jump in. I get that you're going to give me crap for drinking the Kool-Aid too much, whatever, whatever, whatever. This team is different than it was in the regular season. I don't want to hear an argument otherwise. That was like six games ago, man. It was two, three weeks ago. This team in the tournament is different, and it happened two years ago. Newsflash. 
And I, I am now at the point where I believe that if they made the tournament last year, they would have won a couple of games. This, to me, is not a fluke. Was not a fluke to beat ASU. Not a fluke to beat TCU. I, kinda, I mean, I agree. I thought last year's team had so much offensive potential, and it was so fun, and it could get hot in a second. I, I agree. And Jim Beheim knows how to coach in the tournament. No doubt. He knows what Jim he's doing. Jim Beheim's done a great job. But Coach K is it? I so just, you, you're just out on Tom Izzo, then? I'm, you think Izzo's I'm a bad coach? I'm not all that in on Izzo. Here we I go. do not think that he belongs in the conversation with those top-level coaches. Every time we do a FizzCast, you drop one ridiculous take, and there it is. It took us until 48 minutes to get to it. But you don't think Tom Izzo is an upper-echelon basketball coach? I, think he's, I don't think he's Woof. in the same tier as Coach K, that's for sure. Who is? Active? Yeah. I think Roy Williams is really good. You're leaving one guy out. Jay think, Wright is pretty good. I think, I think people Wright's, are going to be think, upset with one omission from this I'm list. I'm waiting on that one. I think Beheim is, waiting. I think Beheim is right up there. But I think that Jay Wright, Roy Williams, uh, Jim Beheim. Yeah, Roy Williams did great this tournament. Listen, man, you're talking about a guy who went to back-to-back Final Fours, back-to-back championship games, and got back and got revenge. How about that? You're talking about a guy who took over a blue blood before he even got there. I don't want to talk about this debate right now. But Jim Beheim. I think he's a better coach than Tom Izzo. I'll agree with that. But the fact that you just named a tier and you coach left K off Coach K is so far Izzo. ahead of that tier, it's crazy. It's like Coach K is everybody's daddy. You don't understand that Jim Beheim is an assistant coach or was for Mike Krzyzewski on Team USA. I understand an that. An assistant coach. It is Mike Krzyzewski. The guy's paying his players. That's what he's doing. Who's not at this point? Jim I mean, Beheim. Jim Beheim squeaky clean. Program's never had any problems with the past. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Yeah, let's let's do it. Duke's going to win. I really think so. And if Final score. Give me a final score. Uh, I just told 59. it, 72-59. All right, I, I think Duke wins, but I'm going to say 59-54. And the 59 has as much to do with Syracuse's defense as it does with the pace this game will be played at because Syracuse is going to make it ugly once again. It was ugly last time in Cameron. It was ugly against Michigan State. So, you know what? You'll, we'll see. But I cannot see it happening, and All I'm right. not. I, I'm not going to appeal to the audience. I'm not going to. You've just got to believe. I'm not man. saying you are. I'm just saying I'm not going to come out and and make something I don't believe. I, I do not think Syracuse wins this game. I look forward to it, man. Post game press conference as Syracuse is moving on to the Elite Eight. Jim Beheim comes out and says it's coming from our own people. I'm overrated. <laughs> I'm overrated. You've worked a lot of press conferences. We wouldn't have won. Like this. We wouldn't have won. Three effing games in this tournament without me. You're saying Jim Beheim's overrated. That's unbelievable. It's See you unreal. next week. I'll be right. All right, man. I, I agree that Duke wins. I, I am willing yeah, to say just, Syracuse has a chance, I don't know though. if Duke's going to win. 2-3 zone. <laughs> Syracuse, they stole my zone, the 2-3. just took it from me. Syracuse keeps it tight against Duke. Hoppy disagrees. Not so much. We will see you next time. Can I say go Orange? At I mean, point, you might as well. <laughs> at this, I, I, might as, I was saying it for 50 minutes in as many words. Yeah. We'll see you on the other side. Maybe we'll be talking to you about a potential Elite Eight matchup with either Kansas or Clemson. But until then, keep it locked on orangefizz.net for all of our content. And stay tuned on Twitter, at Orange Fizz. For Jonathan Hoppy. I'm Drew Carter. We will catch you next time.